This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hey, very good morning to you. It is Saturday, the 16th of December 2023, and we are talking PPD, personal and professional development. Let's get ourselves ready over the winter holiday to make sure that we are living our very best lives as our very best selves in 2024. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the very last Saturday Breakfast Show of 2023. I cannot believe that we are here already. Um, I think I said, or I would have said, on the final show of 2022 about how I found that last year dragged. It seemed to be 2022 forever. Um, You know, people talk about how the lockdown years dragged. I thought they went really quickly. It was 2022 that just would not budge for me. But I can't believe that we are already here at the end of 2023, that I'm already introducing the very final breakfast show of this calendar year. Um, This year really has whizzed by. It has been an interesting one. It has been, I have found, quite an intense one. Um, but I consider myself very lucky because it has been, all in all, a very good one for me. Um, I know that not everybody can be the same. I've seen lots of people kind of doing their their end of year wrap ups on social media, and I know lots of people have been through lots of different things. Um, and that's the weirdest thing I think about life in general um, and perspective is that we can all look at the same thing. We can all look at the calendar year twenty twenty three. And we will all see it in very, very different ways. Some people will have had the very best years of their life. Some people like me will have had a a decent year with some good highs and no real lows. And for some people, it will have been an awful year that they can't wait to see the back of. Um, We all have very different experiences. We all have very different um, outcomes of exactly the same thing or what should be exactly the same thing. And so I think as we enter the kind of reflective part of the year, where many of us are beginning to look back on what we have done, um, whether we've accomplished everything that we had wanted to accomplish, whether we are where we had wanted to be, and and set our goals for 2024, um, I think it's important to remember that we can celebrate other people's achievements, even if we've had an awful year. And we can empathise with other people's woes, even if we've had a a great one. And I always think that this time of year, this kind of self-reflection that we go through is a good opportunity to exercise empathy, to exercise sympathy, um, and to kind of look for other people's experiences and what we can take away from them as much as what we can take away from our own. 
I always get very reflective at this time of year. I think I'm quite a reflective person anyway. I remember in my very final, it was either my final teaching practice or my NQT year. Um, I don't remember which. I did them both at the same school. I was very lucky that my final teaching practice school had a French teacher vacancy open up just as I qualified. Um, and, and I was told by the mentor because the um, the trainee mentor was the same person as the NQT mentor. And, and she told me off for being too reflective about my lessons. Um, I got too in my head about them, particularly when they didn't go wrong. But I think uh, when they when they didn't go wrong, when they didn't go well. And I think that's just always been part of my nature. I think I've always been a very reflective person, but it gets even more so. At, at this time of year, as everything begins to look back, you know, every website known to man starts doing some kind of wrap up at this time of year, and you start seeing exactly how many hours you spent listening to Spotify, or watching YouTube videos, or whatever it might be, or wondering what exactly you did with that time, other than listening and watching. Not that there's anything wrong with that, we all need some downtime. Um, I was going to say every now and then, but actually I think we need downtime more often than every now and then. I think downtime is very important uh, and we don't give it the um, the attention, the import it deserves. So I think looking back and looking forward, kind of being very, very Janus in our thinking is is natural at this time of year and for me it is very important for me it is because i am and i don't know this may or may not surprise those of you who are listening who actually know me in real life i am naturally a very lazy person um i do do a lot of things you know i will accept that i do a lot of things but there is nothing i like better than sitting in bed and watching tv quite frankly or sitting in bed and reading a book um basically as long as it involves me sitting I'm happy. And so kind of in order to really get the most out of my life and um, and kind of profit as much as I can, uh, benefit as much as I can from, from all of the wonderful opportunities that I have, I do need to make plans. And, and part of that plan making, part of those plans is reflecting on the year that has been and, and seeing where I've come from and where I'm going. So I invite you to join. Uh, no, I don't. Yes, I do. I invite you to join me. As you can tell, I am still kind of fuzzy from my cold. It's really weird. Um, Long-term friends of the show might know that I was off a couple of weeks ago, kind of a last-minute cancellation, um, because I had the cold that had been going around. I have um, not suffered from it as much as many, many people did. I had it for about 10 days, um, and then I was okay again. But I am finding myself very fuzzy at the moment. It's kind of difficult to uh, to keep my train of thought going, which is why I'm very, very grateful that we broke up from school yesterday. So do bear with me this morning <laughs> um, as we go through. I will appreciate your, your understanding and your sympathy. Um, if I go off on an even bigger tangent than we are used to here on Saturday morning breakfast. But we are thinking about moving forward. That's kind of the, the focus of the show today. Um, I was actually going to do a year in review. I thought that might be interesting. 
but then I realized that probably no one actually is interested in my own personal year in review apart from me. So I scrapped that idea. Um, and instead, we're going to talk about PPD, personal and professional development. So we're going to talk about moving forward. And we are going to talk about why development is important. We're going to talk about why keeping on top of your professional development is important. Of course, I'm talking about this from a teaching perspective as a teacher, but I think it applies to just about every profession. But we're also going to talk about why personal development is important. And we're going to talk about how we can attempt to reconcile the two. Because quite often we get wrapped up in our professional development, um, particularly as teachers, where we do have professional development built into our calendar year. Um, in, in England, where I teach, there are very specific days set into the school year for teacher training, for teacher professional development, um, inset days, whatever you might call them. And so it does take priority in our profession. But I think it can also be taken for granted because it's built into the year, because it's something that is part of the calendar, because it's something that quite often we roll our eyes at and we think, oh, okay, here is somebody else coming in to lecture at us for an hour on inset day when I would much rather just be in my classroom. We can forget to, to benefit from it. And so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how we can combine professional and personal development to kind of make sure that we are very much living our best lives in 2024. So if you have any opinions on anything that I have to say today, please do get in touch. You can text in if you are listening live via the Podbean app. Um, I am always, always happy to take your texts, to read them out on air, to discuss with you. If you are listening anywhere other than Podbean, you can tweet me. I am at Mr. D. Lester. That's M-R-D-L-E-S-T-E-R, all one word. And I will read your tweet out and we can kind of have a discussion that way. If you are not listening live, you can also tweet me. Because as I always say, I deliberately choose topics for the Saturday morning breakfast show that I am interested in. Um, because as we know as teachers, if you are interested in what you are talking about, then you will hopefully be able to transfer that enthusiasm to your audience, to your pupils. Um, so I always pick things that I'm interested in. I always pick things that I want to talk about. And so I will always be interested. So while today is the 16th of December 2023, for me, if you are listening from the future, if it is currently the, the 24th of December and I, you are spending your Christmas Eve with me, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, if it is 2024 now, if it's 2025, if it's 2026, wherever in the future you may be coming from, tweet me because I can guarantee I will still be interested. So please do engage. Please do get in touch. And we will have what I hope will be a fruitful discussion this morning. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. 
Happy reading. Bet UK is empowering the everyday wins. Cheeky grins. <laughs> Big conversations. Budding aspirations. Our goal? To make EdTech accessible and teaching exceptional. Join the global education community on the 24th to the 26th of January 2024 as we make education better together. Ticket off your Christmas list today. Get your free ticket before the 13th of December deadline. Visit www.uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Guardian features comment on a parliamentary report which is calling for an overhaul of secondary education in England. The House of Lords report says the education system for 11 to 16 year olds is too focused on academic learning and written exams. The report also calls for the English Baccalaureate or EBAC introduced by Michael Gove during his tenure as Education Secretary to be scrapped as a school performance measure. The government ambition for 90% of Year 10 pupils to be entered for EBAC subjects by 2025 is criticised for being too limiting and not allowing pupils to study a range of subjects. Criticism is also levelled at the overburdened curriculum as a result of content and the 25 to 30 hours of examinations at the end of Year 11. The report echoes some concerns expressed by some teachers and school leaders. Recommendations include allowing schools to offer a more varied range of learning experiences, more opportunities to study creative, vocational and technical subjects, and that pupils should have the option to take functional literacy and numeracy qualifications that are equal in value to GCSEs in English and Maths. Former Education Minister under the Conservatives, Joe Johnson, says the evidence received was compelling and that change was urgently needed. Former Education Secretary Kenneth Baker said dropping the EBAC would give schools greater freedom. Unions welcomed the calls but said school funding, recruitment and retention and cutting workload were essential to making any changes a possibility. A Department for Education spokesperson said, We are constantly seeing the success of our reforms, citing recently released PISA rankings and being named best in the West for primary reading out of a comparable 43 countries. The Observer focuses on Scottish schools dropping the PISA ratings and featured an opinion piece by Sonia Soda. The piece lays blame squarely on the curriculum reform which began under the SNP in 2010. It changed the focus from knowledge emphasising the development of transferable skills. The approach is linked to the idea of preparing children with skills they need for jobs that don't exist yet. But the article says this is a theory based on zero evidence. The article goes on to make links to other countries which made similar changes and saw similar declines, including Sweden and France. It also focuses on the impact such a curriculum has on disadvantaged pupils, increasing, it says, the gap between the non-disadvantaged peers. As the House of Lords report levels criticism at a so-called traditional system in England, 
it seems that Scotland's more progressive approach is being seen in a similarly negative light. The BBC World Service features a piece on universities in Hong Kong. Once attracting talent from around the world, now academics fear Beijing is restricting academic freedom. In 2021 to 22, more than 360 scholars left eight public universities. The turnover rate, 7.4%, is at its highest since 1997, when Hong Kong returned to Chinese rule. Foreign student enrolments have dropped by 13% since 2019. Security guards are now a common sight in universities, ensuring that students and visitors must identify themselves. At the Chinese University of Hong Kong, the democracy wall has been stripped bare and a statue of the goddess of democracy is gone. The 2020 national security law targets subversive behaviour and has seen libraries emptied of books of bad ideologies and a ban on protests. Job applications for professors have dried up and fewer students are enrolling for PhDs in humanities and social sciences. Some academics say that even being an expert on China is a risk these days. Further details on this story can be found on the BBC News website. Pupils in Liverpool got a Shakespeare masterclass from Ray Fiennes, which they described as weird but outstanding. The Harry Potter actor is starring in Macbeth at Liverpool's The Depot, but was supporting the Friends with Shakespeare event in a local school. The workshop included warm-up games, group work and language analysis. The star also focused on the theme of ambition in Macbeth and linked it to future plans and careers for students. Finally, GCHQ has released its annual brain teaser for UK school children. Its code-breaking challenge is aimed at 11 to 18-year-olds. More than 1,000 secondary schools signed up for this year's event, according to the BBC Breakfast programme. It is the third edition of the challenge and it is designed to test code-breaking, maths and analysis skills, with each test designed to be harder than the last. There are seven tasks in total and children are encouraged to tackle them in teams, as solving puzzles needs a mix of minds. The full challenge can be found on the GCHQ website, just in case you want to test your own skills. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. I would like to give a quick shout out to Wayne, who texted in there during the news. Uh, Wayne is originally from South Africa and currently teaching in China, uh, which is excellent. I do love when we have an international um, cohort here on Saturday morning breakfast. Um, as long term friends of the show will know, I am a languages teacher. And so I am very much interested in the international perspective and how different countries can work together um, in order to make education better. And so I think insights like uh, like what Wayne has to offer coming from one country, teaching in another, both of which are different to, to my own, is, is invaluable. Um, and I do think that if teachers can work together more often with our international peers. Yes, our systems are very different. Yes, we have very different um, theoretical goals. But ultimately, we all share this desire to make sure our young people um, are learning the very best that they can, are maturing to the very best adults that they can be, and that they will function as global citizens 
um, in the very best way that they can. And I think if we could all work together on an international um, scale to, to make that happen, then humanity, to be honest, would be all the better for it. Before we talk about professional there, there. Personal and professional developments today. I want to pick up on on something that Joe said there in the news. I always do. I love listening to Joe's news. Um, it's excellent for picking up on things that maybe I missed during the week or insights that that different that differ from my own. Um, but I wanted to pick up on this idea that the British education system is too focused on academic learning. Now. I'm in two minds about this. Um, first and foremost, schools are schools. Schools are places to learn. And there is nothing wrong with being academic. I say this as an academic person. We see academia vilified quite a lot, uh, particularly in media. You know, I grew up in the in the 90s, in the early 2000s, when the nerd, in inverted commas, was an archetype that we saw in films, um, in shows, particularly those aimed at children, um, as the butt of the joke, and you know it was never it was never cool to be the one who knew stuff. It was never cool to be the one who wanted to learn. You know, the person who liked reading in a TV show was always going to be the one who got covered in gunge by the end of it. That did change ever so slightly. Um, in kind of the mid 2000s, the, the the 2010s, with the Big Bang Theory becoming as popular a show as it was, when suddenly kind of geek chic became a thing, and the geeks were cool, but of course they were STEM geeks, uh, and so it was okay to be geeky so long as your interest was was physics or maths or engineering. Um, but still less so if your interest was language or literature or art or drama. And so I feel like the, the the implication that schools need to be, that schools are currently, sorry, too focused on academic learning is just an extension of that. It's just an extension of this idea that academia is wrong. We also see that, interestingly, in one of my favourite subgenres of of literature, which is dark academia. Um, I've really gotten into dark academia books over the last kind of a year or so. These are books that are quite often set in universities, either um, from an undergrad point of view or from the professor's point of view. Uh, good morning, Paul. Paul has texted in to send his greetings. I hope you are having a great morning. Um, and, and in these dark academia books, we often see academia equated with arcane knowledge, uh, which is what I like about them. I like magical realism. I like fantasy. But we also see academia linked with murder, with mystery, with deception. That's where the dark and dark academia comes from. So I do kind of feel like there is still this anti-academia prejudice that kind of exists in in popular media and if we're then also being told that schools are currently too academic so these places that actually are supposed to be about knowledge and about training 
are too academic. What this is suggesting to me is that we have a kind of a dumbing down almost of people. We have this desire for for knowledge to no longer be shared. And I don't know whether this is gatekeeping and whether this is the idea that academic knowledge, certain types of knowledge, should only belong to certain types of people. Um, I do have a real chip on my shoulder about this, I will be honest. As a, as a working class classicist, um, as somebody who, who didn't have the opportunity to discover the joy of classics until university, um, I, I do take umbrage with, with gatekeeping and with this idea that certain knowledge should only belong to certain people. Um, and I, so I don't know whether it's that or whether we do just have an anti-intellectual sentiment kind of running through society right now that um, that is going to stop some of our students from accessing their potential. This is not, of course, to say that all students are academic. And this is a discussion that I have quite often on Twitter with members of the MFL Twitterati because um, the A-level, so the, um, the, the highest qualification that you can get in languages in the UK without studying them at university, without taking them to degree level, that is a very academic exercise. The A-level in languages doesn't particularly test your ability to speak that language. You know, our students have to analyse literature. They have to analyse a book and a film and write an essay, an unseen essay, um, in their target language. They have to be able to conduct research in their target language. So there is a very academic language qualification without anything to balance that out. There isn't a qualification in day-to-day -day use of French, in day-to-day -day use of Chinese. There is no qualification that I um, am able to teach that has UCAS points attached to it. Um, I'll talk about that in a second. That my students can take to make sure that when they go to China, I can train them in making sure that they can book a hotel room, making sure that they can order food, making sure that they can have a chat with their their house share partner at university. There is no kind of functional language qualification. Now, I say that because there are functional language qualifications. The government of pretty much every country where there are majority or official languages has a qualification in place for that language. So for Japanese, for example, we have something called the JLPT, the Japanese Language Proficiency Test. Um, for French, we have the DELF and the DALF. For Chinese, we have the HSK. So these things do exist, these kind of, um, these, these, practical language qualifications do exist. But unfortunately, because they don't have UCAS points attached to them, because they don't have things attached to them that will um, clearly help students get into a university, they are not widely offered in the UK school system. And this is where I'm interested 
in this idea that that we're going to reform the system to be less focused on academics. I do try and look for the silver lining when governments make announcements. I don't want to be doom and gloom. And so I'm hoping that the way that this was phrased by saying that we are currently too academically focused doesn't mean that we're going to take the academic away so that for my students who want to be able to write essays on um, bonjour tristesse in French are able to do so, but that we are also adding these vocational, these functional, these non-academic routes that other students can take. And I think for those of us who teach the humanities, particularly for those of us who teach languages, and for those who teach arts, that could be a good way to increase our numbers. Because, you know, you can still do your four A levels or your, I don't know how many T levels you're supposed to do, but however many T levels you do, or your BTEC and an A level, and a functional qualification in, um, in German, a functional qualification in Latin, because you are interested and you can do it for fun. The same way that they want people to be able to do functional qualifications in maths and English. Hopefully, hopefully that is what they are, uh, that's what they're getting at. Uh, so Wayne has texted in with a question. What's your take on kids who are not academic per se, uh, think multiple intelligence and feel they fail their parents' wishes or expectations? Parents feel let down and have spoken to, uh, I've spoken to a few that it's not the end of the road for their child or children. No, ab absolutely, absolutely. Of course, Wayne is coming from a Chinese perspective where there is, and there is an intense amount of pressure on those children. Um, I've never taught in the Chinese system. I understand it from a theoretical perspective as a teacher of Mandarin. Uh, so I've kind of, I've, I've read the books. I, I understand from being outside the culture, um, not inside, and there is a ridiculous amount of pressure on those children. And I do think that that's something that we get right in the UK, is that there is not that same kind of pressure on children to succeed academically, to go to university. Um, up until 19, whenever it was, 1997, going to university was not a given in this country. Um, it was very much a choice. It's kind of become an expectation these days. I've noticed this um, with my, my sixth formers. The question is no longer, are you going to university? Are you filling in the application forms? It's which universities are you going to? And so there has been that shift. But I don't ever feel that there is any, um, that there is any negativity aimed towards those students who say, oh, actually, I'm not going to university. Um, you know, actually, I've already got a job lined up, or I'm going to take a gap year because I don't know what to do. Um, and I think that's really important, because not everybody is academic. And I think in this country, that is something we get right, is recognising that not everybody is academic, and that the education system does need to um, educate everybody. So, you know, the fact that we have T-levels, technical qualifications, the fact that you can go and do an apprenticeship in um, being an electrician, that's what my, my eldest nephew is doing. You know, we have apprenticeships for bricklayers 
and for for all of the trades which you know there will always be call for i think that is is fantastic and that is something that we do um and i think that in these cultures in these countries where the family name is so important and and you know in confucianism there is this concept of filial piety there is this concept that you as an individual are part of your family line and that kind of still weaves itself in through the chinese culture and and so your own wishes as a child and what you want to do are fine so long as they don't bring shame on what the family says on what the family is i find that a very interesting concept um as somebody who is outside of it and i think i hope that what will happen is that one day there will be a widening definition of success and i hope that one day we will see that academic success and non-academic success are equal um and that ultimately success is going to look like whatever you as an individual want it to be but then of course i'm very much aware that i am saying that as an english person born and raised in england with the very western kind of individualistic perspective and and of course this is where what i said earlier about about academic um about teacher cohesion is a bit more difficult because countries all have their very own notion of what is important and western style individualism doesn't necessarily carry over to a chinese perspective um and and that can be really really difficult um Wayne is texted in again a poor child he has spent 3 years moved from teacher to teacher because according to the parents uh they couldn't master english turned out later that child was a brilliant violin player when they were 6 and the school blamed teachers when it wasn't the teacher's fault so this is interesting because this is all sorts of things that then are common i think across school systems the idea that teachers are to blame for a child not not succeeding in their class <laughs> we quite often forget i think about the individuality of children and you know when you said yourself about multiple intelligences um in in the first text of this chain and i think quite often we get so caught up in this idea of multiple intelligences and this idea that everyone should be able to succeed and that a good teacher can make sure everybody succeeds we forget that sometimes they just can't sometimes somebody just can't do something and that's okay sometimes a child just doesn't want to Sometimes a child comes into my French lesson and just does not want to learn French. And that's okay. And you know, there is an extent to which I as the teacher am responsible for trying. 
I have to try and make sure they engage. I have to try and figure out how to get these children to enjoy languages as much as I do. But at the same time, I'm responsible for half of the transaction. I'm responsible for teaching. It's the child who is responsible for learning. And if it is something that they have no interest in, that they are not willing to put the effort in for, or that they just have no ability in, that is not anybody's fault. And it's certainly not the teachers. And now I'm thinking about ability in terms of practical skills. I cannot do sports. I cannot do sports. I've got no coordination. Um, I don't enjoy sports, so I never, you know, in PE lessons in school, I never really put the effort in. None of that was my teacher's fault. You know, the fact that I didn't engage was not my teacher's fault. The fact that I'm not good at it was not my teacher's fault. The fact that I'm not coordinated is not my teacher's fault. My teachers taught me the best that they could. I have very good sports teachers. They were very understanding of my limitations. But ultimately, nothing that they could do was going to make me a brilliant sports person. You know, nothing that they could do was going to make me a professional footballer when I was tripping over my own um, studs in my football boots. But what they could do and what they did do was broaden our sports curriculum because I found that I enjoyed being in the fitness suites. I found that I enjoyed being on the treadmill, I enjoyed being on the, the stationary bike and all of that sort of thing. And so they could produce opportunities for me to see why um, exercise was important and to, to get the best out of their lessons, even if they couldn't train me to be the same level as a lot of the other lads in my PE classes. And none of that was their fault. And I think this idea of Children being good and not being good at things. Children wanting and not wanting to do things. That's all disappeared. The individuality of the child has disappeared, ironically, in trying to cater to individuality. In trying to make sure that everything is accessible. And we've forgotten that sometimes they're just not interested. Sometimes they have other priorities. Sometimes their violin lesson is more important to them than their English lesson. And that might be quite sad for me. But of course that's going to be sad for me because I'm the language teacher. So therefore language is automatically going to be more important to me than the violin is. But that doesn't mean that it's more important to that child and it doesn't mean that it has to be. If a child is taking, let's say, 11 GCSEs, not all of those subjects is going to be of equal importance to that child. And sometimes we forget to let them have their preferences. And I think quite often the reason that that happens is exactly as Wayne has pointed out, because we as the teacher get blamed for their lack of, in inverted commas, success. When in fact, a grade three at GCSE, you know, a, a, a C, a D, getting a, um, 
a CEFR level one or two in a language, that actually is a success for that child. And we forget to kind of take the child's individualism into account. I realize that I've contradicted myself there quite frequently, um, where I've gone back and forth on, you know, sometimes children can't do it, sometimes they can and they're just not interested, sometimes the teacher should be trying to get them to do it. You know, I've covered all of the bases, um, but this is a very complex issue. And I thank you, Wayne, for making me think about it this morning, because this could be something that I come back to um, in a show in the new year, because I think this idea of this idea of teaching and learning and that kind of dichotomy, that partnership is something I'm very interested in. And I do think we need to get back to remembering that centering our learners is not just a responsibility for us as the teacher, but is also a responsibility for them as the pupil. And part of what we need to do as the teacher is figure out how we make sure that these 14 year olds who are much more interested on playing uh, in playing Minecraft than they are in conjugating verbs, how we get them to realize that their learning is important, that, that they have just as much responsibility in the transaction as we do. So yeah, some food for thought there. Thank you, Wayne. That was not something I thought I would be um, thinking about this morning, um, but I am glad that I have. Um, I would like to say good morning to Tim, who texted in there during my little monologue. <laughs> um, uh, Tim texted in to say uh, that he also has the chip on his shoulder. So we're going back here about the gatekeeping uh, of knowledge and, and the classics there. Knowledge is wonderful and should be shared and celebrated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think to kind of tie it in there to what Wayne was saying, it's important to recognize different types of knowledge. You know, it's important to recognize that I was rubbish at football, but there were boys in my class who were amazing and they understood the tactics and they understood the, the, the complexity of how to get the ball from their foot into the goal. They understood how they had to tap it. They understood how hard they had to kick it in order to make sure they didn't overshoot. And I think, you know, they may not have understood the science behind that. They may not have been interested in the physics behind that, but they understood what to do. And that practicality of the knowledge, the practical implication of what could have been a theoretical knowledge is of equal import. And again, I'm aware that I'm going around the houses here, but this is kind of the big issue in education, isn't it? Everything is important. Academia is important. Theory is important. Practical application is important. And should we be able to expect all of our children to do all of those things? And I'm gonna say no with my classics head on. I've often said that classics is a perfect subject for students who would be perfectly capable of studying a, a modern language, but who don't like the communicative aspect. They, you know, they are very introverted children. They don't like talking to people. Um, they are, are worried to speak out loud, but they understand the grammar rules. 
Whereas some students will understand the grammar rules and they will enjoy the communicative aspect. And so doing a modern language is is great for them as it currently exists because they need to be able to prove that they can do both. And some students don't want to know the grammar rules. Some students don't want to know how to conjugate verbs and they don't want to know how to make sure adjectives agree. They don't want to know about parts of speech and cases. They just want to know how to speak. And so there should be another qualification that exists for them. Uh, thank you, Wayne, for, for texting in. Uh, I'm really, really glad to have had you on the show today. If you are interested in listening to the next 45 minutes, we're about halfway through now, then you can catch up with us on Spotify, um, on uh, the Teachers Talk Radio website, just to kind of hear the the end of of what we're talking about today. But thank you for your contributions. I really have appreciated it. Um, I've really been interested in your insight. Uh, I hope that you will join us again in the new year. Um, Tim texted in to say, just think about how amazing it would be if we encouraged each other to reach our maximum potential in the things that we love and to share that with the world however we were able um, in an effort to lift each other up uh, oh, sorry, an effort to lift each other up would change the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that would be amazing. If we could find a way to make sure that we were all encouraged to, to follow our bliss and to understand that it's okay if your bliss changes, that it's okay if at 16 years old you don't know what you want to do. And I, I suppose if I'm being charitable, if I'm being kind, this is kind of what the current school system attempts to do. You know, it it says at 14 years old in England, we're not expecting you to study every single subject. There are these subjects that are of utmost importance. English and maths, literacy and numeracy skills are vitally important. And then you can have a choice because you don't know right now what you're going to go into. And so it's good for you to have a broad base knowledge. And then you specialize a little bit more at A level at, at 16 years old when you might have a clearer idea. And then you specialize again when you go to university. I do kind of think that's where we started. But then because we started to use exam results as a measurement of success in inverted commas, not for students, but for teachers and for schools, the game started to be played. Because of course, nobody likes to be judged. Nobody likes to put ridiculous numbers of hours into their work and then turn around and say, oh, that wasn't good enough because X number of pupils did not achieve this arbitrary grade in this subject. And so, you know, the game started to be played so that people could be seen to be successful. And this was a discussion that I had with somebody earlier on in the week. Um, and we didn't reach a good conclusion to this. But I think if we were able to separate student success from school efficacy, and I think if we stopped judging schools based on what their students achieved 
And we actually started looking at things like how broad of a curriculum does this school offer? What are the children at this school able to do? What are the extracurriculars like? That could be a better measure of success because it would mean that we were more and more able to offer our children the opportunity to find their bliss, to discover new things. One of the things that I really like about the um, about the US system is the electives section. So this idea that in your day, you have a subject or two subjects that you have chosen, and they are quite often nothing to do with a regular curriculum. Uh, it would be the same as we kind of have in the UK as after school activities, except they are done during the school day. And they can just explore and then they can change the elective if they want to, if they find it's not for them and explore something different. And I think, again, if we were to change how we measure success of school from what grades are these children getting, which ultimately I am only half responsible for, I am responsible for the teaching, I am not responsible for the learning. I don't go and sit the exams for those children. That would be cheating. That would get me sacked. So why am I held to account for how they do? Why is their prioritizing English and maths, which they are told is the priority, they are told that they need English and maths, and they know that if they don't get English and maths, they have to resit it over and over again. So, of course, they're going to prioritize that over their other subjects, particularly if they are not subjects that they are planning on taking at A level. How is any of that my fault? And why are they the matrices used to judge my efficacy as a teacher? My efficacy as a teacher should be judged on, do my children enjoy their lesson? Does my lesson hit its learning objectives? Does Do I do in my lesson what I set out to do? And if I don't, can I justify why I haven't done that? Did one of my children take me off on a more interesting tangent that is still relevant to my subject, but might not be what I wanted to cover? Does my sequence of work make sense? Do I hit everything that I need to hit in order for my student to be able to take the exam? Why is my efficacy as a teacher not actually about me? Why is it placed on the shoulders of these poor children who already have a lot to do? And I think that's the reform that we need. That's the reform that we need. To look at judging schools based on their offering. Judging schools based on their ability to cater to the differing needs of their particular cohort. Of altering their offering, perhaps even year on year and let the students worry 
about their own exam results because ultimately they are the ones who get these GCSEs. They are the ones who get these A-levels. I don't. I've already got my GCSEs and my A-levels. That's my little tangent. And um, well, I say little tangent. That's 52 minutes of the show. <laughs> but actually, to be fair, it does fit in quite nicely with what we are talking about today, which is personal and professional development, because we've been talking about this idea of truly individualized learning, of, of truly allowing our children the opportunity to explore what they are interested in, what they are good at, and, and that as schools, those are the opportunities we should be offering. And again, if we were stopped being judged by exam results, and if we started being judged by how are we letting our students develop, and of course, giving them qualifications is part of that. Uh, one of the things that I've made a note to say to you today is that I hate doing a, a CPD course if I don't get a certificate at the end of it. I love a certificate. I love a bit of paper to tell me that I've succeeded. And so I am not sitting here saying that GCSEs, A-levels, T-levels, the JLPT, any of the qualifications that I've mentioned this morning are, are useless. What I am saying is they should be the motivating factor for our students. They should be the things that, um, that we use. That should be the carrot at the end of the course. And we should be making sure that our students have ample learning opportunities. And if that's how we were judged, if that's how schools were judged on the learning opportunities they provide, then I actually think our system would be much better for it. Because we will be focused on our pupils' personal and professional development. And I think it would be wrong for me to, to sit here and pretend that I don't care about that when I'm about to talk to you about teachers' personal and professional development and why I feel this is so important. The reason that this is on my mind this week is because I received an email, uh, kind of Monday or Tuesday. It was a, a whole staff email um, from our deputy head academic. And he said, you know, without wishing to, without wanting to wish the Christmas holidays away, here is the plan for January inset. Um, and I found a few things interesting in that sentiment. Of course, I don't want to wish the holidays away either. You know, I'm I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed. I've got three weeks for my Christmas and I am feeling in need of all three of those weeks. But I'm also aware, like I said at the top of the show, that I want to be ready for 2024. I want to I want to use part of this time to put plans in place for next year. I've already started planning out my shows for next year. Um, I pretty much know what my topics for each Saturday morning between now and about March are going to be. Um, one of my goals is to be more on top of everything next year. And so I was thinking, you know, yes, I want my holiday to be relaxing. Yes, I want my holiday to be filled with downtime. But actually, I've also got this amazing opportunity. And as teachers, we have this great opportunity every few weeks when we know we're going to get a few days off to think about my own development 
and to kind of plan that because like I said at the top of the show I am naturally quite lazy I like to sit on the sofa I like to stick on a film and just do nothing and so if I don't plan my personal development if I don't plan my professional development then I won't do it quite frankly and so I read through the the itinerary for our January inset and my first thought was like I said at the beginning of the show why can I not just be in my classroom I've got planning to do I've got photocopying to do I've got booklets to make I've got marking to do you know why can I not have my inset day just to do that but the fact is I can't the fact is my school has planned an inset program for me that does not involve department time and I can't fight that I can moan about it but actually what does that achieve particularly if I'm moaning to you guys um, my audience as opposed to moaning to the people who plan my inset so I thought you know what I'm not going to complain I'm going to read through the itinerary and I'm going to figure out how to profit uh, maximum how to um, get the most out of this day and, and I felt this shift in my mindset now I'm not about to start preaching toxic positivity um, I've done a show on toxic positivity before so if um, if while TTR is on its downtime you find yourself missing your saturday morning fix of me chatting on please do go back through the archives and, and find that show um but i do want to look for the silver lining i do want to look for how i can benefit from this program because clearly there are benefits to be had i don't believe that any school is in a financial position to bring in outside speakers if they don't believe that there is something that these speakers have to offer and and so i i have kind of consciously made the choice that i am going to listen out for what these speakers have to offer i am going to decide to make the most out of this opportunity i am going to practice what i preach because it's like i say to my pupils about homework the homework is set you know you have to do it otherwise i'm going to put you in detention where you're going to end up doing it anyway so you may as well just do it and try and make the most out of it and try and get the best out of the thing that i think is going to be the best use of that time for you because i hate being a hypocrite I hate being a hypocrite. One of the things that I learnt at university during my B.Ed. In one of our very first lectures for this compulsory module that was called professional studies. The lecturer stood up at the front of the, the, the hall and she said to us, never get your students to do something that you are not willing to do yourself. I trained primary. So that was, was an interesting one for us um, because of course primary is all about games and fun and being a bit silly and so 
it was quite interesting then when we were planning lessons to go, okay, I'm going to ask these kids to sing this really weird campfire song in music, for example. Would I be willing to model that? And if not, if I'm finding that too embarrassing, I shouldn't get the kids to do it because they will find it embarrassing too, probably. It doesn't always work like that because children are quite willing to be embarrassing in a way that adults sometimes are not. But I've always kept that idea in my head that I shouldn't be asking my kids to do something that I'm not willing to do. So if I'm asking my kids to improve, if I'm asking my kids to undergo personal and professional development in terms of coming to my lessons, doing the work, getting their qualification, getting their GCSE, getting their A-level, then I should be doing the same thing. I should be a role model for my children and I should be saying, yes, I'm asking you to learn, but I'm also learning. I'm asking you to step outside your comfort zone, but I'm doing the same thing. Because I don't want to be that hypocrite. I want to be the role model. When my students come in and say, oh, sir, that homework that you set us was so hard, I, I could only do half of it. I want to be able to turn around and honestly say, do you know what? That's okay. Because the homework that I had to do for my course X, Y, and Z was also really hard. I got about three quarters of the way through and I had to email the person for help. Because I think if our students, if our pupils can see us as learners, as well as as teachers, if they know that we know what they're going through, they might be more inclined to go through it themselves because they might be more able to see the relevance. So that's why this is important to me. That's one of the reasons why this is important to me. I do have a personal mission just to be the very best version of me that I can be. Um, I, As I've spoken about on the show before, I have always had quite bad imposter syndrome as a teacher. Um, I had quite negative experiences as a student teacher. There was a head in particular who um, just took an instant dislike to me and in fact told me during appraisals how much she disliked me and why. Um, and so I've, I've always had her in the back of my head telling me that I'm awful at my job. So part of my, my desire for personal and professional development comes from this idea that I'm not good enough, uh, that I need to do all of these courses, I need to get better, because this person who was a head teacher and so clearly understood the world better than I did, the, the, the world of education better than I did, told me that I was not good enough. And, and even now, you know, almost 20 years later, when I reflect back on that and when I've had conversations with people about who that person was, who that head teacher was, and how she how she had been with other members of staff at that school who had been teaching longer than she had been, um, I understand that it wasn't about me and it was about her. But it's hard to get rid of that little voice. But I'm not angry about it. 
so thank you, Tim, for your um, your sympathy and your empathy there. I appreciate it very much. Um, but I'm not angry about it because I've chosen to use that in a way to be better. Because I do believe that I'm a good teacher in, in the way that I believe nobody goes into a lesson believing they've planned an awful one. I believe that we are all doing our best at all times. I believe that we are all trying the very best that we can with whatever spoons we have, with whatever energy we have in that moment. But I want to be better. For my kids, I want to be better. For me, I want to be better. So I do kind of, I do place a lot of importance on personal and professional development. And of course, there are a lot of benefits to it, even if you think that you are the best thing to happen to teaching since Socrates. If you are the best thing in education since sliced bread, very happy for you. But I believe that you must also think that there are still there is still room for improvement. Because if we're not improving, if we're not trying new pedagogy, if 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 we're just stagnating in our practice, then where's the challenge? What's the point? Because at that point, you're just collecting a paycheck. And, you know, there probably are teachers out there who, who are in it for the money. It's not the best profession to be in for the money. Um, but there, there may well be teachers who are just happy to collect their paycheck. But I do firmly believe that the vast majority, 99.999 recurring forever percent of teachers want to get better. And this is where personal professional development, CPD, can be very important. So CPD is this process of, of tracking and documenting our own skills, our own knowledge, our own experience that we gain formally and informally through work through training beyond our initial training. It's this record of what is experienced, what it is learned, and then how it is applied. And I love this definition. That, that definition comes from Active IQ. Um, and I love that because sometimes as teachers, particularly those of us in secondary, we have to teach things that we didn't actually learn. So we teach our subject because we have a degree in it or we have professional knowledge of it, whatever it might be. But our initial training in our subject, our undergraduate degree, our master's degree, our 15 years in industry, whatever, again, whatever qualifications we are bringing to the table, they do not cover everything that is possible on a, a specification. If I approach this with my classics head on, um, we're very lucky in classics because we have a range of modules at both GCSE and A-level that we can choose from. And so we can kind of tailor the modules to our own specialisms, to our own preferences. But I have not read every book. I did not study every book on the reading list at university. I misspoke. I have now read every book on the reading list. 
Um, but a few of them I got to when I started teaching classics because I wanted to read them and study them um, to see whether I liked them better than what I was planning on offering. And I think sometimes, particularly for new teachers, and that's where imposter syndrome can step in right from the start, is this idea that you are teaching something that you are not necessarily an expert in because it is in your discipline, but it's not something that you've studied. Or at least it's not something that you sat in a lecture hall and studied. It's not something that you sat an exam for. So for me, one of the, the key points of personal and professional development is this idea that we keep learning about our subject, or if you're at primary, about your, your specialism, and in fact, all of your subjects, in all sorts of ways, by going on courses, by reading books, by listening to podcasts, by tuning into other shows here on Teachers Talk Radio. And that is just as good, that is just as valid, that is just as positive a way to learn as if you had done this as a module at university. So for me, it's about the lifelong learning and it's about recognizing that, you know, while yes, I do want my certificate, you know, if I'm going on your course, I want my certificate at the end of it to prove that I've been on it. I don't get a certificate for reading books, but that doesn't make the knowledge that I gain from those books any less. The word lecture, as in a university lecture, comes from the French lecture, reading. Because it is through reading and through talking, through engaging, that we expand our knowledge. So one of the benefits of PPD, of personal and professional development, is in fact quelling that little voice in the back of your head that says, oh, you didn't do this at university, you, you are not the expert here. Because you don't have to be. You just have to have better knowledge than the people you are teaching, than your students. You just have to understand the subject. And you do, because you have read the books, because you have been on the course, because you have listened to the podcast. So I think, because I do think that subject knowledge is very important in teaching. But I think the more we normalize different ways of gaining subject knowledge, the better we will be in creating our own teacher identity. And again, I've done a show on teacher identity. So once more, if you are missing me over the Christmas break, please do go back and listen to that one. I really enjoyed that show um, because identity, the concept of identity is very, very important to me. On top of this kind of confidence and this this quelling of the little voice that says oh you know you're not good enough cpd ppd has a whole range of benefits you know it allows you to manage your own learning and growth 
That's not always obvious, particularly if the bulk of your CPD comes from inset days that are arranged by your organization. And so you don't have control over what lectures you're attending, um, what reading you're doing. You know, it's all provided to you by school. But you do have control over what you get out of it. You have control over what lessons you've learned. And remember, lessons can be I'm not going to as much as they can be I am going to. I, I ran some training in a specific pedagogy for MFL teachers with my faculty um, not too long ago. And one of the things that I really tried to get across with them was this idea of I'm going to give you a range of activities that fit this pedagogy, but you don't have to do all of them. You're not going to like all of them. And it's OK to say, oh, I don't like that game, so I'm not going to do it in my class. Just as it's OK to say I really like that activity, I'm definitely doing that. So sometimes, even if you think you're not going to get out of you're not going to get anything out of a, a lecture, a speaker, whoever it might be. Having that belief reinforced of, oh, actually, no, this type of teaching doesn't work for me. That's gaining. That's development. I'm not saying that we need to go into all of these lectures with confirmation bias, of course. Don't go in listening for a negative. But taking a no out of a, a lecture, out of a talk, can be just as beneficial to your development as taking a yes. Um, interestingly, Active IQ says that you can earn more money by showcasing your achievements. Now, of course, that is not how it works in education. <laughs> that is not how it works in education at all. However, by broadening your skill set, by broadening your knowledge set, you are in a position to put yourself up for other roles. So let's say, for example, you are aspiring to middle leadership. You know, doing the middle leadership CPD courses is a good way to demonstrate that you have a theoretical knowledge of middle leadership. But also in that CPD, in that PPD, you shadow your own middle leader. You shadow the head of your subject. You shadow a deputy head and you keep a record of that shadowing. And that goes in your, um, we used to call it a PDP, your professional development portfolio. Um, now at my school, it's called a professional development journal, but that goes in there. And you keep that record, you keep the written record because you do need the proof. And I think this is where lots of people fall down on the CPD, on the personal development. Um, and it's why we get, it's why I get so caught up in having a certificate is because there is still burden of proof. You know, it, it isn't really enough for me to go to the head of classics and say, look, I want to switch modules. I want to start teaching Cicero. Um, you know, I've, I've never studied Cicero at university, but I've read about him. That's going to take a lot of trust on the part of my head of department to say, yeah, 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 go for it. That's fine. Whereas if I can take a journal in which I've documented my reading, in which I've made notes about Cicero, I can prove that that's what I've done. 
So there is still burden of proof on us that we can do the things we say we can do. And I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. Um, and so, you know, if if you are going for a promotion, if you are trying to climb the ladder, then look at your CPD, look at your PPD as a way of proving these skills that don't just involve going and sitting through lectures, that don't just involve doing the um, the MPQ and all that sort of thing, but do keep records, do keep notes. Buy yourself a nice notebook. You know that here on Saturday morning breakfast, we are fans of stationery. So buy yourself a fancy notebook and a nice pen and keep some lovely notes of all the observations that you're doing. Because that is the burden of proof that is on us as the people doing it. Um, we can cope more positively with change by consistently updating our skill set. Teaching changes all the time, all the time. There is always somebody coming in telling us the, the new best way to teach. There is always a change in exam layout. There is always the government telling us that we're too focused on academics and so we need to do something different. Teaching is constantly changing, even though it feels like it's always the same. And so doing the CPD on these changes is actually beneficial in two ways. First of all, it keeps you up to date with what is changing. So you can do the very best for your, your pupils, which is what we all want. But also from a mental health point of view, and again, I'm just ticking all of the Saturday morning breakfast show boxes today because we are big fans of positive attitudes towards mental health here, not just on, on Saturday breakfast, but at Teachers Talk Radio in general. And Feeling like you are on top of the changes is good for your mental health because you feel prepared to do your job. You don't feel like you are drowning in the changes. You don't feel like you are unprepared for what's coming. You might still not be very confident the first time you teach a new specification because it's new, particularly if they introduce a brand new skill to your subject. But at least you will go in saying, look, I've done the training. I've listened to the podcasts. Let's see how this goes. We did this during COVID. Those of us who were teaching, uh, those of us who were teaching secondary during COVID knows that for uh, centre assessed grades and teacher assessed grades, the very first thing that lots of exam boards very helpfully did was put out training, put out um, webinars on how to conduct the assessment. And so even though we were all kind of feeling our way through that and trying to do the very best we could with, with minimal information, by attending those webinars, we at least felt kind of equipped to do it. We at least felt the beginning of being equipped to do it. And then our leaders stepped in and they had attended other training and they helped us. But that did mitigate some of the fear and so for me, that was really useful. That was really helpful. Um, we can also be more productive and more efficient because CPD, PPD, helps us to reflect on our own learning and it highlights the gaps in our knowledge and experience. As teachers, we can be scared of gaps in our knowledge because in our classroom, we position ourselves as the expert. And saying to a child, I don't know, 
feels very scary because it feels very undermining. So actually, if there are very specific gaps in your knowledge, if there is a, a part of your syllabus, a part of your curriculum that, um, that you didn't do at university, that you haven't done very much extra reading on, then integrating an, a, a full-on reflective CPD journey into your practice, into your daily teaching practice, can be helpful because it will help you to prioritize that and it will mitigate the number of times you need to say, I don't know. Now, I am going to caveat that by saying that learning to say, I don't know, as a teacher was one of the most freeing experiences of my career. As a language teacher, I am fluent in my languages. I'm, I'm happy to say that. I have nine languages, I am fluent in them. That does not mean that I know all the words. I don't know all the words in English. My, my go-to example of this is the fact that I don't drive, I can't drive, I don't have a car, therefore I have never learnt car parts. You know, I know what tyres are, I know what a bonnet is, I know what windows are, but if you opened up the bonnet of a car, and you asked me to name the parts of an engine, I couldn't. Doesn't mean that I don't speak English fluently. It means that I don't know those particular words. And so being in my classroom and being asked by a, a pupil, how do you say this incredibly random word that I've never needed to know in French, in German, in Latin, in Mandarin, in Japanese, whatever language I happen to be teaching at the time. And me saying, do you know what? I don't know. Let's look it up in the dictionary. That was really freeing for me. And it was a good lesson for my pupils as well because it showed them that the expert in the subject, the person in the room who knows the most about this subject, doesn't know everything, and that doesn't make that person less of the expert. It just means that they don't know everything, and so they don't need to know everything. It's kind of like I said uh, about half an hour ago, you know, be the role model in your classroom. Model what it is to not know and have to learn. And then if you as the expert, if you as the person in that room most passionate about the subject that is being taught, that's why you're the teacher. If you are still learning and you are showing the students, you are modeling to your students how you learn these new things. You know, where on the internet do you go because you can't remember the date that Henry VIII married Anne Boleyn? You know, is it Wikipedia that you go to, in which case it's okay for the kids to go to Wikipedia? Or is there a better site, in which case the kids can go to that site? Modelling that process for them is, is just as valuable than if you have been able to give them the fact. So... The CPD is going to help to highlight gaps in your knowledge. It's going to help you to close those gaps. But also remember, there's nothing wrong with having gaps. There is nothing wrong with having gaps at all. In terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is very controversial, I'm aware. Uh, not everybody subscribes to Maslow's theory. 
but CPD actually helps to meet a lot of the needs in that hierarchy. So in case you're not sure, just very briefly, this, this guy Maslow, he came up with this triangle of things that we need. And it's called the hierarchy of needs. So at the base, there are physiological needs that we all have. Food, water, sleep, breathing and health. And those have to be met at the very baseline, they're at the bottom of the triangle, in order for anything on top of it, I'm, I'm doing hand movements as if you could see me, um, but they, they need to be met in order for anything on top of it to work. So after your physiological needs, you then have your safety needs, security of body, security of employment, security of resources, security of morality, security of family, security of property, security of health. Then once those needs are met, the needs of love and belonging become important. So friendship, family, I printed this out very small and I'm now worried about the fact that I can't read it. Uh, social interaction, intimacy and affection. Okay, so there's this, this pyramid and there are five sections to it. Uh, physiological, safety, love and belonging, esteem and self-actualization. And we build upon each step. CPD can help you to meet a whole bunch of these needs, which ultimately exist to make you the most self-actualized, best version of yourself that you can be. So again, we've talked about filling gaps in your knowledge. That will increase your self-esteem because you will feel better about your ability to go in and teach something because you understand it really well. We, let's say that you are struggling with behavior. Most of us, I think, are struggling with behavior right now. I'm seeing that everywhere over teacher social media at the moment. And so you go on a course about behavior management. And it's taking you a long time to pluck up the courage to go on that course because you don't want to admit that you're struggling with behavior. Because that is seen as a basic teaching skill that, that we should be able to do. But you've plucked up the courage. And you go and you see that this room is filled with people just like you. Who have been teaching for the same amount of time that you've been teaching. Who are teaching your subject. Who are teaching in a school exactly like yours. And they are also struggling. That creates a sense of kinship. So we've got the love and belonging there. It creates a sense of esteem because you realize that you're not the only one struggling. And if you were, then that would be your problem. But the fact that you're not hints at a systemic problem that needs to be tackled. And it helps with self-actualization. Because you are problem solving. You have got this problem. Behavior management is difficult for me right now. And you are attempting to solve it. That's right there at the top of Maslow's hierarchy. I had so much more to say today. Um, but of course, as always, we went off on a tangent. So I will revisit this in the new year. But actually, I think that's a perfect place for us to end today. Is this idea that CPD and personal development, so professional and personal development, 
are important, not just to make you better at your job. And again, I've been talking about teaching because we are Teachers Talk Radio. But as I always say, I know that we've got friends who are working with children in all sorts of capacities, not just as teachers. And so your professional development in your domain will be good not just to make you better at your job, not just to make you the very best version of yourself that you can be, which has been our focus today, but actually to make you feel like you are the very best version of yourself. Because that's kind of what Maslow's hierarchy of needs is getting at. It's this idea that if all of these needs are met, if all of the five steps in the in the triangle are met, then you feel the most secure, the best version of yourself that you can be. And without wishing to get too soppy, I am very grateful for all of you who tune in. Um, whether this is your first time with us, um, like it was for Wayne, whether you are a frequent friend of the show, like Tim, um, who, who joins us without fail every single week, you are my audience who I enjoy having breakfast with every single Saturday morning, and I miss you on the Saturdays when I'm not here. And I want you to to be the very best versions of you that you can be. And I want you to feel like you are being the very best versions of you that you can be. So that's what I wish you over the next few weeks while we are on our break. I wish you a very relaxing holiday. I wish you a very Merry Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. I wish you a peaceful time of year if you do not celebrate Christmas. And I would like to thank each and every one of you. If this is your very first show, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And I do hope that you will come back in the new year and become part of our little um, our little family here. If, like Tim, you tune in every single week, I would like to thank you. Um, and I would like to give a shout out to Tim's dad, who I know is also a, a frequent tuner in her. So thanks to you too, sir. Thank you to Tom and to the whole of the TTI team for providing me with this opportunity. Because this is the very best CPD that I can wish for. And I always feel amazing after every show because of what I get out of it, because of what I get out of um, researching how I develop as a person, finding these things, and from interacting with all of you. So here is to the end of 2023. Here is to the last of the Saturday Breakfast Show for this year. And here is to my excitement for everything that the Saturday Breakfast Show and Teachers Talk Radio is going to bring us in 2024. I will speak to you all very, very soon. Thank you very much and goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.